Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. Hello, this is Tom here, and welcome back to B-Side. Today we're going to be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. This is, of course, Steven Spielberg's 1977 film. And what we covered on the podcast, or what I brought up on the podcast, was an interpretation of the movie which really saw it as the inner workings of a mystical experience. Now, my source on terms of, of mystical experience and whatnot really comes from um, William James, who was one of mysticism's first scholars. And we tend to think of mysticism justly so as something either coming from like the desert fathers of the Catholic Church or the high Middle Ages when you get people like um, Bernard of Clairvaux and uh, Bonaventure. However, it's a bit anachronistic to refer to those thinkers, those writers, as mystics. And really, the application of that term, the the invention of the term is the 19th century, and the application of the term is late 19th and the 20th century. Um, And I would say that this film is describing or demonstrating a mystical experience sans a religious context. So we see our main character played by Richard Trifus, and he is having a mystical experience in which he's rising up from a kind of fleshy, casual existence into a kind of more, um, I guess what we could call a union with the divine. Though, of course, in this film, the divine isn't the divine. The divine are these alien creatures that really don't have an explanation or detail. They seem to be somewhat magical in their scientific abilities, their physical abilities, their communications, um, but we don't really get the details of how they do things. This film isn't isn't sci-fi in that way. It's much more airy. It, it is um, much more about the effective experience of encountering these creatures, the magic of them, as opposed to, you know, what they actually are capable of doing. It's not interested in world building. It, it's interested in the kind of emotional response to these creatures. And I think that has a lot to do with the way William James interprets the the psychology of the mystical experience. And I want to look here at um, James's probably most famous book, The Varieties of Religious Experience, and what, um, what he thinks of as these kind of, you know, these kind of mystical workings. James writes about one person, Stephen H. Bradley, who at the age of 14 had a vision of Jesus that lasted about a second. 
and in that moment, Bradley became a Christian he converted. Years later, Bradley attended a revivalist church meeting. He didn't really enjoy the experience, and that evening when he went home, he was gripped by a profound religious experience, a profound religious feeling, and that's really the key word here, feeling, emotion, the kind of sense of something. And then he went out to tell his neighbors about Christ, and um, and there you go. He had this kind of mystical experience. Um, and James writes this about, about that experience. Quote, At bottom, the whole concern of both morality and religion is with the manner of our acceptance of the universe. Do we accept it only in part and grudgingly, or heartily and altogether? Shall our protests against certain things in it be radical and unforgiving, or shall we think that, even with evil, there are ways of living that must lead to good? If we accept the whole, shall we do so as if stunned into submission, as Carlyle would have us? He's referring to Thomas Carlyle there. Or shall we do so with enthusiastic assent? Morality, pure and simple, accepts the law of the whole, which it finds reigning, so far as to acknowledge and obey it, but it may obey it with the heaviest and coldest heart, and never cease to feel it as a yoke. But for religion, in its strong and fully developed manifestations, the service of the highest never is felt as a yoke. Dull submission is left far behind, and a mode of welcome which may fill any place on the scale between cheerful serenity and enthusiastic gladness has taken its place. It makes a tremendous emotional and practical difference to one whether one accepts the universe in the drab, discolored way of stoic resignation to necessity or with the passionate happiness of Christian saints. End quote. And so what I see in this movie and what I see in comparing, in comparing this movie to this quote is that mystical knowledge is sensual knowledge. And sensual knowledge is joy, that that is what brings joy. And we could see here with this quote, morality pure and simple accepts the law of the whole, which it finds reigning, meaning it, it, it rules you, it holds you in. And you can obey a kind of Kantian, um, Kantian morality, but most people may only do it with the heaviest and coldest heart. The religious experience for James, the mystical experience, is welcoming, is cheerful, is happy, is incredibly emotional, can't wait to run out into the street. There isn't a, um, there isn't a rational explanation of the experience or a quote-unquote law that it seeks to instill for you to follow it. There may be a, a kind of moral code that the mystical person accepts, and certainly when we look at the great mystics through history, they are people who are indebted to the Bible and, and what the Bible instructs. However, that does not speak to the experience of religion, right? To, to this 
effective religious experience. That's a, a different type of experience. That's sort of the what we might call the, the practical or the heavy experience of religion. While here, the mystic feels this kind of great joy, this, this ascent to God, right? And Spielberg captures this kind of feeling, um, you know, and, and, he, and we could see it in other mystics as well. So um, Bernard of Clairvaux, whose dates are 1090 through 1153, um, he interpreted the Bible mystically. So he saw the, the tome, the rules and whatnot, and he read the, the Song of Songs, that is the Song of Solomon, um, which is a, a, one of the poetic books devoted to God, and it's, it's a very almost sexual um, and he saw that as the soul ascending to God, rising up to God. Um, and here, he's actually a few verses from the opening to Song of Songs. Quote, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. My beloved is to me a sack of myrrh that lies between my breasts. End quote. So we could see there that that is not... A, a heavy uh, moral law that's reining you in. It's actually sexual, right? It, it's the religious experience completely effective, even kind of in your loins. It, it, it possesses you in this way. It's not rational knowledge, right? It's effective knowledge. And this differs from the Neoplatonism of the High Middle Ages. We see with people like Albert the Great and, and Thomas Aquinas. Um, those were the, the scholastic tradition that was interested in creating a heavily rationalized way of understanding God. Bernard of Clairvaux doesn't have that same focus. He sees God as being approached through love, through something more like the Song of Songs, right? That kind of sexual energy. Um, later mystic Bonaventure, his dates are 1217 through 1274. He has a book called The Mind's Journey to God, and he notes how the soul moves towards an experience of an ecstatic union with God. And there's these number of steps, this, this ascent. That's of these medieval mystics kind of write in terms of ascent, of rising up, of having to climb up something. Um, and when you make that ascent, the mind is taken beyond and beyond itself to a point it cannot grasp and then plunges into the darkness of this incomprehensible experience in order to find peace, right? And so even here, even in the way Bonaventure is formulating the soul's journey towards God, it's a journey beyond rational knowledge, right? It, you have to go beyond what you can intellectually grasp to get there. That's kind of the whole point. Right. And um, and we could see then how this might overlap with close encounters of the of the third kind. Um, Spielberg, I'm not saying is theological. I, I don't know what his religion is. Um, I, I think he's Jewish, but I don't know if he was raised in any kind of faith. 
Uh, and it seems like Richard Dreyfuss's character, Roy Neary, is also not a person of any kind of religious affection. He, he doesn't seem to be religious at all. Um, however, his experience with the aliens and his experience with Melinda Dillon's character really seems to be very similar to the kind of mystical experience that William James wrote about. It seems to feel very much like the kind of mystical experience and advice that both Bernard and Bonaventure were offering in the uh, in the 12th and 13th centuries. Um, and, and we could see after he is kind of struck by God, right? Roy is struck by, by, not by excuse me, <laughs> Roy is not struck by God. He's struck by the aliens. He's on the road. He's on a journey to find a problem. And like St. Paul falling on the road to Damascus in Acts of the Apostles, uh, Roy is just on to do his job, no thought about what he's doing, and he's struck and, and struck physically by these aliens, and he can never get them out of his head after that, right? It's, a, it's an instant conversion moment, much in the same way that St. Paul was instantly converted, much in the same way that Stephen H. Bradley, in the, the story that uh, William James brought forward, was instantly converted. Now, other conversion experiences sometimes take years and years. We think uh, Francis of Assisi spent years praying. Um, even Bonaventure saw the ascent to God as a kind of long-lasting thing, more, more schematic. You're still ascending beyond knowledge, but it isn't a, a road to Damascus experience. It's something that takes a, a longer time. But here we have the mystical experience beginning in a moment, in an instant, instant conversion. St. Augustine of Hippo also had that kind of experience that he recounted in his Confessions, when he experienced revelation in a moment, in this like fit of despair over a sin he didn't know how to atone for. St. Augustine ran into the courtyard of his home and... He just overheard a child's voice commanding him to a passage in the Bible. And when he went to that passage, that passage had advice about how to atone for that sin. And so that St. Augustine and St. Paul, I feel their experiences, and Stephen H. Bradley as well, their experiences are similar to Roy Neary's. That it's, it's just this moment. It's being struck. It's like being hit by lightning. It isn't something thought through. Again, it's affective knowledge, emotional knowledge. And we see him also in his interactions with Melinda Dillon's character, whose son sees the aliens, and then her son is later abducted by these aliens. There is a certain... Um, chemistry between them that does have a sexual energy now that is never realized in a physical intimacy but when they meet for the second time the first time Roy's driving and he almost hits Melinda Dillon's child or her character's child when they meet again on the road with the people who are looking for the aliens there's this road where the aliens have passed by and the next night, all the people who saw the aliens come back to this 
this bend in the road to see if they come back, the alien stone. But Roy sees Melinda Dillon's character, and she's, you know, uh, very attractive. Everybody who's interacted with the aliens is sunburnt. So half of Roy's face is sunburnt uh, because he was in a car, and he looked out the car, and the half of his face that looked up to see the aliens, that was sunburnt. Melinda Dillon's kind of upper body is sunburnt, and she's wearing a really low-cut blouse tied at the waist and she kind of shows him her her sunburn shows him her skin um and he shows her his skin and it's this really kind of sexy moment in which they're comparing these kind of um their their conversion experiences when they became believers in these extraterrestrial creatures and it does have a a real sexual energy to it. Um, and later in the film, they discover that if they go to, you know, Wisconsin, there is the the mountain there that the aliens um, are going to be visiting, right? That they're going to land there for whatever reason. And knowledge of the mountain has been implanted in the heads of an, a number of people, including Melinda Dillon's character, including Richard Dreyfuss's Roy Neary. And so these people are like sculpting it or painting it or modeling it. And a few of them realize what it is they're, they're designing and they decide to go there. And we have a long extended sequence where a number of people are trying to get up the mountain um, they're kind of taken in or captured by the army. The army has also figured out that the aliens are coming here through a series of events that we don't really need to go into now. Um, but what we end up seeing is Roy and Melinda Dillon ascending, moving upward, exhaustedly climbing up this mountain, avoiding these army helicopters and our army soldiers, um, trying to find a way to get closer and closer and closer to this ethereal experience and eventually it happens um, melinda dillon's jillian her, her character's name is jillian she's trying to get there um she, she's possessed with this knowledge too but she's trying to get there to get her son back but roy really wants union with these greater beings and that's what ends up happening roy manages to ascend the mountain he becomes an astronaut and is able to go on board the alien spacecraft. And we see him then moving from, you know, the kind of everyday experience with his wife, played by Terry Garr, to this kind of sensual, shared, effective knowledge with, with Jillian, with Melinda Dillon's Jillian, to these ethereal, white, angelic creatures that carry him up beyond knowledge, beyond understanding, into, into the atmosphere and beyond, into space, into those places past which we have understanding. And so that ultimately ends up being my reading, is that this experience of Roy is the experience of Mr. Bradley, right? It's a secularized version of a variety of a religious experience. It, it itself is a variety of religious experience, just secularized. And so I would say that what this movie does and what Richard Dreyfuss and Spielberg do is unpack an effective 
mystical experience and how effective knowledge, as opposed to rational or empirical knowledge, possesses someone and inspires them to action. This has been B-Side. Thank you very much.